because with, without them, I, I don't have a job. There's nothing for me to do. Welcome to Authority Issues, a podcast about leadership, management, and being excited about crumpet delivery. I'm Rachel Perkins, aka Pibe or Pie Bob. I'm into words, operations, cheese and whiskey, and of course, leadership. And I'm Kendall Miller. I found a fold-up knife in my secondhand couch. It's Whoa. exciting. My life is exciting. That's very exciting. This week's episode is sponsored by Dialogue. Dialogue is a tool that amplifies the growth and wellness of teams through structured goal setting, one-on-one conversations, and focused feedback. What could you accomplish if your team performed better? Find out with a free trial at getdialogue.io. That's get, D-I-A-L-O-G-U-E dot I-O. Wow. Cool. And uh, today on the show, we're talking with Nick Knight, head of releases at a financial tech company in the UK. Welcome to the show, Nick. Hi there. Welcome, Nick. Hi. Well, we'll uh, get right into it and uh, ask you to tell us a little bit about yourself and your path to leadership, to management, where you are now. Okay, cool. Thanks for having me on the show. Um, So I guess my uh, my path to leadership was a, a bit of a convoluted one. Um, <laughs> it's, I think this is why they call it a career because <laughs> you kind of ping around the place a bit. Um, mm-hmm. So I started out from university. I graduated with a degree in English and philosophy about 350 mm-hmm. years ago. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I came out without much of a plan and kind of fell into working for a recruitment firm. Um, so I was a recruitment consultant for a little while, which at first felt like a really nice job because you're, you're finding jobs for people who need them and trying to find people to fit jobs that need filling. Um, but actually it's, it's a really tough job and no one's ever happy with what you do when there's lots of Mm -hmm. sales and cold calling and that kind of stuff in it, which I, I sort of wasn't very good at. Um, <laughs> and, and didn't I enjoy. Feel like, I always feel like recruiting is like you're selling the greener grass, and everyone wants the greener grass, yeah. and everyone should be excited about it. But yeah, it's like universally derided, especially in this industry. Well, it there is. aren't a lot of good ones, you know. It's it's a hard job to do if you don't know the field, and if you know the field, you might as well be in the field. You'll make more money, you know. It's, yeah. yeah, it's terrible. Yeah, it's terrible that way. But anyway, yeah, that's yeah. a that's a rough gig. <laughs> yeah, so I did that for um, sort of a couple of years or so, and and didn't really enjoy it. Um, but then an, an opening came up in um, the head office for that company in their IT help desk, uh, and they because I'd been using their systems in the branch. And I kind of enjoyed working with the, the computers and supporting other people in using those. So I, I thought, okay, fine, I'll, I'll go and do that for a while. So I ended up doing um, first line support, which was an experience. Um, <laughs> so we were kind of a team of 10 um, supporting around about 2,000 users across the UK. Um, and that was that was quite a, a, a busy time. Um, and then after... I'd been doing that for a little while. My manager went on maternity leave and I stepped up to to cover for her. Uh, And at that point, I realised that actually for all all the tickets that were being raised, she was actually closing about a third of them. I was closing a further quarter of them and the rest of the team were picking up the rest. So when she left, that left quite a gap. And that was my first major lesson of management is, is what happens when you as a manager do the bulk of the work um so that then descended into a fairly nightmarish scenario for a while while we tried to um 
stay on top of things and, and clear a, a big backlog that built up quite quickly. Oh, yeah. What was that like? How did you handle it? <sighs> Terribly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. how else would you? Like, you have no idea at that point, right? <laughs> no, not a clue. Not a clue. Um, <laughs> what does terribly mean? Did you just yeah, drown? What's the dirty details here? <laughs> <laughs> Fine. Um, basically, yes, I did. It was, it was horribly stressful. I ended up working really long days. Um, pulling in whatever supports I could from wherever I could um, and eventually we we kind of got on top of things and got back onto a more even keel um, but then the company started to restructure and I, I thought you know what this is a good point to to go I think there's um, I, my confidence had taken a bit of a beating at that point and it felt like time to move mm-hmm. on so um, so I started looking around. Did they blame you for this uh, scenario? No I, I, no, I wouldn't say blame. Um, I would say there wasn't perhaps as much support as I would have liked. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, when you find that out about a company. Yeah, yeah it, it, it makes it hard. So uh, from there, where did you end up? So I actually moved from there to the company I'm working for now, um, which is kind of a medium-sized uh, fintech company. So we we produce software for the wealth management sector primarily, so stockbrokers and investment managers and those kinds of people. Okay. Um, and I moved into a role which was more, which was in the, the sort of releases area. So um, a bit of writing documentation for release notes and things like that, um, and a bit of kind of low-level technical stuff installing software for clients and and that kind of thing the the products on-prem um so we do a lot of work for our clients who've got expertise in-house um and at first i've i felt like um kind of a a lot of imposter syndrome in that Mm -hmm. it was it was a very different environment and i spent a good six months thinking any minute now they're gonna figure out i'm not up to this job (laughs) they're gonna know yes they're gonna catch me out um, but they didn't, and then um, <laughs> you know they, they kind of kept giving me more interesting things to do. I got a bit into using uh, writing user guides for a little while, which I really enjoyed. Um, so um, kind of a, a little bit of technical authoring, I suppose. Um, mm-hmm. And then my manager again moved on to um, she, she went very very part time to to spend time with her family. Uh, and my kind of grand boss pushed me towards the leadership role for that team, which I resisted hugely <laughs> um, because after uh-huh, previous after experience, time. I was like, oh, are you sure about this? Um, <laughs> oh, my goodness. Were you able to convey that to you? Did you explain? Like, the reason is that last time I got left holding the fucking bag. <laughs> well, and it makes me wonder how many times like people who had opportunity to become managers had a terrible first mm-hmm. experience and then walked away Ooh. from it completely and never came back because I'm sure that's happened. Oh, yeah. So yeah, were you able to tell your grand boss about that or did you just resist until they, they overcame your resistance to it? Uh, yeah, we, we had quite a good uh, open relationship and I, I did explain my reservations and it was partly what happened before and partly that imposter syndrome still and feeling like I'm not as deeply technical as the people on my team. How can I possibly lead them? Mm-hmm. Um, and they've yeah, been here for, for longer and, and this kind of stuff. So there was a lot of that to, to unpack. Um, but he was he was really patient and persistent. <laughs> um, <laughs> great. And he, he let me take quite a, a gentle yeah, route deal. into it. So I was able to kind of 
um, sort of take a lead on some things and partner up with someone more technical for a while before I stepped fully into the um, the, the team lead role. So that was that was a nice way to do it for me. That really worked. That's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And did the team have push pushback, or was the team receptive of you being the leader? Like, how, how did the team handle that separate from just? You um, I think in general they they were okay with it. Um, it was a little bit weird. It was a bit of an adjustment for us all. Um, but I think after you know after the initial period of change, and any change is is strange and unsettling. And I think after a little while, it, it we all kind of settled down into. Um, a nice pattern of working together um, so that was really good that was that was a really positive thing mm-hmm. have you had some uh, training in management techniques or anything like that since you've been in this role um, yeah so we've uh, I've been through a few um, different management programs the the company I work for have done a, a couple of um, different things so one was um, just a, a short series of sessions um with a with a trainer and then uh, about i don't know four or five years ago we did a much more uh, concentrated program with qa training um in the uk who were quite big and that was a, a series of about oh how many six or eight sessions of focusing on mm-hmm. different aspects of management plus a couple of coaching sessions which was really really helpful um so what, that was good. did you find anything in particular helpful about that what what did you what did you get out of it you think uh I think I mean by the time that training rolled around I'd already done um I'd been in the management role for quite a while so it was sort of that underpinning of things I already knew with something a bit more concrete so I'm like yes that's what that is <laughs> uh, um, structure perhaps yeah um, yeah. giving words to the things you yeah <laughs> completely <way>. yeah <laughs> i could have done this sooner <laughs> yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that is an eye-opener when you're sitting in the class and you're like oh yeah that's why that happened <laughs> yeah yeah there was a few of those moments um mm-hmm. but i think the the one-on-one sessions with the coach were were the, probably the most helpful um and i mm-hmm. that really started off um a, a real interesting um, in coaching and, and coaching style conversations because I think there's so much power in that uh, and as managers I think it's a really really useful tool yeah what were the kinds of things you were you were learning in that one-on-one coaching is it the uh, you know why was that so helpful was the coach actually giving you direct advice I mean usually coaches aren't doing that they're just asking you questions was it just like finding out you're not crazy for having the thoughts you had or you know, why um, was think, that so helpful? Uh, I mean, you're right. Yes. It was much, much more about helping me explore my own situations and, and find my own answers rather than giving me advice or direction. Um, I think one of the most helpful things was someone to yeah. help me really re-examine myself in the way of kind of challenging things that I was believing about myself that weren't necessarily true. Um, so that, there's a lot of talk about self-limiting beliefs uh, and I, mm-hmm. I have many of those <laughs> which I've, I've had to work <laughs> through over the years and and that was really helpful to sort of go actually the, you know is the world like this what's your evidence for believing this about yourself and and to really ask those kinds of questions and have someone sort of persist with that until you have that light bulb moment where you go oh 
getting in my own way. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I believe this, and it's not necessarily attached to reality. Or what's the? Yeah, I mean, what's the? What's what is the light bulb moment? Like, oh, I'm sabotaging myself, or I just need to believe more in myself, or um, what's what, what? I think for me, it's it's going back to that that sense of imposter syndrome, and if I don't know something myself if I can't talk deeply about something myself then I have no value I have nothing to offer well that's not the case I can still have perspective on things I can still ask intelligent questions about things I don't necessarily have to know everything um so I I think like I say I'm not what you, you might call sort of deeply technical about a lot of things other people in my organization are so I can draw on their knowledge to help me sell ideas to people and convey what we're trying to do and those kinds of things I don't necessarily have to know it all myself um and that's that's really I think that's a really difficult thing to get over um yeah and the value there is is much more to do with how you gather information and present it and how you understand the bigger picture in context of the business for example and a lot of you know highly technical individuals don't have that ability Mm -hmm. So yeah, absolutely. I'm completely with you there. It's great that you were able to learn that. What's weird about that is that we all have this perception, right? Like like our our imposter <laughs> syndrome, I think all comes from us believing that when I'm in this role of leadership, I should know exactly what I'm doing, right? But when you have a boss that's like, this is what you do, don't ask questions, right? Or doesn't ask questions about what you should be doing, doesn't solicit feedback. <laughs> you think that boss is an asshole. Uh, but then, you know, your default is to believe and I'm saying the proverbial you, right? Like including myself in this, the default is to believe, well, when I get there, I need to have all the answers. And I just think it's interesting that we don't naturally connect. Yeah. That. We don't Humans. Make yeah. So great. <laughs> yeah. So what is the leadership issue you're dealing with right now or thinking about right now? Oh, um, so right now we've got, um, well, we've got quite a number of, of challenges, I suppose. We, um, we had quite a quite a lot of upheaval last year. Um, the company didn't do so well. We had some redundancies. Um, things are coming back onto a bit oh. of an upswing now. So redundancy it's getting better, is, uh, but we're getting. It, wait, so, yeah. so, sorry, so, <laughs> so, for the American audience. A redundancy <laughs> in the UK means you had some firings, right? Like. Uh, some layoffs. Yeah, layoffs. Okay, 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 yeah. Layoffs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's like. Yeah, we, we needed to cut back on the number of staff, so we had to let some people go, um, which is always really difficult and, yeah. and upsets That's everyone. Sucks. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So we're kind of coming back from that now um, and trying to be, I guess, more efficient and um, we've, we've got more kind of capacity to to change things that need addressing and that sort of stuff. Um, the, the last couple okay. of years in our industry as well in the UK in particular have been very heavy on a lot of regulatory change so we've been responding to that and that's taken up a lot mm-hmm. of effort that I think you know otherwise we could have been using to pay off some of our kind of technical debt and process debt and you know those sorts yeah, of things yeah. so it's almost like we're trying to play catch up now and understand what is it that we need to do that's going to add the most value that's you know there's this massive list of things to tackle and loads of people have got different ideas about how to do it and it's what order we do things in um how how do we manage that change process we might have the answers technically um but who's looking after how this is going to impact our clients and our users and 
you know, how is this going to affect our the flow of work through the value chain and, and all that sort of stuff. So there's a lot to think about there that we need to tackle. Um, and as head of releases, what is your role in this? Can you describe a bit more what that what your job covers? Sure. Um, so my team is kind of in two uh, main parts. So I've got one group of people who are release managers um, and they coordinate the work going into releases, so projects and defect fixes and that kind of stuff. Um, Mm-hmm. And then the other half is more on the um, kind of release engineering side. So um, they're, they're responsible for the, the processes and the tooling by which we um, deliver software. We've got quite a complex product. We, we start with a, um, the foundation, the database layer, and the business logic is in quite mm-hmm. an old uh, IBM language, which no one's heard of, RPG. <laughs> um, so think COBOL, it's like black on black and green screens, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. And then on top of that, we've got some um, some Delphi applications uh, that sits in front of oh, it. Yep. Yeah. Um, we've got some web applications which are written in Java. We've got some new flashy things that we're like um, dashboards and stuff which we're creating in Scala. So th- there's lots of different mm-hmm. technologies in play and they all have different kind of cadences and you, you have to make sure that things are moving through the pipe in the right way and all this sort of stuff. So there's quite a lot to manage oh, yeah. there. Um, and in the financial industry, you've got, you've got to have stability. You have to have that whole security layer yeah. handled, you know, and oh my gosh. Yeah. And getting, getting all of those trains to align yeah. to yeah, ship. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so what, when you say people are release managers, I think what you're talking about in, 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 uh, in um, other, other tech company lingo is you're in charge of release engineering and you're also in charge of product management or products uh, program management. Um, not quite. We, we, we have um, separate product managers who look after the product itself and, and the direction we're taking the functionality and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have project managers who will work on individual projects that we're delivering into the, the releases. Um, the, the release managers are much more about the coordination of all that effort into the timing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's program management. Yeah. Yeah. yeah what I we suppose, would call that. Yeah. Okay, cool. Thanks. I, I just wanted to get a picture of what, you know, cause you're literally then you're kind of the gatekeeper of what totally, goes when, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's hard when you're trying to make that decision, you know, when you're trying to organize who gets to do the, the thing they want to do, like what we should yeah, do now. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. There's okay. um, a degree of friction goes with it at times. <laughs> oh my God. A degree of friction. If that doesn't describe every leadership role ever, that's, that's very entertaining. Um, well, what's, so Nick, you've, you've sort of moved. I, I liked the way you described, you sort of moved into this leadership role, super intimidated mm-hmm. by it, started to get comfortable, go to this training, find out, you know, Hey, actually I have learned a lot of this. I'm doing a lot of this already. I mean, talk mm-hmm. about like, what's maybe one of the hardest lessons that you learned or, or maybe, you know, a really embarrassing lesson you learned the hard way, or when you look back on it, I mean, what do you sort of sum up as, as the, the leadership things that really made an impact on how you think about leading? Wow. Um, that's a really big question. <laughs> yeah, I, I, try to, the... I try to ask all of my questions in six <laughs> parts. Uh, go ahead. Um, I think probably the biggest lesson is just not to put off the hard conversations. Um, I had a situation with uh, one of my direct reports where um, they were, 
they were kind of doing an okay job in many ways and some of the people who were sort of my peers and and in fact my boss at the time weren't necessarily as um on board with how they operated um so there was a bit of friction between the the two um viewpoints um and i think in some ways i wasn't robust enough in my defense of that person but at the same time i wasn't perhaps as clear about the kind of feedback I was getting to them so that they could adjust Mm. um, and and work in a a way that was going to be looked on more favorably. Um, And I I think I was, I was so busy in the middle trying to just keep everyone happy and chilled. And, and actually what I should have been doing is going, right, look, I know you have a problem with this, but look at all this other stuff. And then on the other hand, say, I know this is how you like to work. However, you need to change these things and you need to do it quickly. And I think if I'd have been more forceful with those conversations, it would have actually resolved the problem much more quickly. Um, yeah, and it's, it's a classic. Yeah. Yeah, it's easy to want to like to to optimize for the person's feelings rather than actual improvement yeah. and then yeah, outcomes. W- yeah. Well, yeah. And then what ends up happening is, you know, you, you, you've got to let them go or, uh, or there's suddenly, you know, it's built up to a point where there's significant, um, sort of discipline, right? That's, yeah. that's a terrible word to yeah. use, but yeah, there's, there's significant action. Yeah. And then you feel worse about the fact that like, you know, I'd feel good about this if I'd said to you five times, Hey, this is going to happen if this behavior doesn't change. Mm-hmm. You know? And when you're super clear about it, um, yeah, I think that's not, I think there is not a manager who hasn't had that experience, right? Mm. That the first time, or the first few times, realizing part of the job is to have those somewhat friction-related conversations yeah. early. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Well, I also think like people's standard for hearing those kinds of conversations is, you know, they need to be told two or three times. I, I can't believe the number of times I've said the words, you will be fired if this behavior doesn't change. This behavior hasn't changed. You are about to be fired. And then, you know, the person's let go and they're like, I had no idea. This is a complete surprise. And it's like, really? No. <laughs> How <laughs> often? So I have a theory here. I have a theory. Bear with me. How often, uh, you know, given the, given the ratio of, of, of uh, men to women in the industry, in the tech industry in particular. That aside, how more, how often is that more a guy thing than than a woman thing? Because I feel like the first time I get told something, I'm I'm mortified, and I feel as though a lot of women who have kind of made it this far in the industry or you know gotten into the industry at all mm. have that hyper awareness of oh I'm being judged. Mm. So I wonder if that's something that is more often a problem with men who haven't been caught up you know told that they are doing it wrong or you know being jerks in the office Mm. or whatever before yeah I think I I think there's something in that actually um I think it's you're right and I think I think the imposter syndrome thing does seem to impact women more but then sometimes it's it's not imposter syndrome it really is a sense that you are being kind of scrutinized more closely and you, you feel like you do have to be on point and on your best behavior. And, you know, that there is that mm-hmm. sense that if you don't conform to this narrow definition of what you should be, there's going to be consequences. And it's, it's, it's kind of an implied thing rather than avert a lot of the time. 
Um, but yeah, I, mm-hmm. I, I definitely think it is. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and I notice it in myself. And also, you know, I, I feel that. And related to your social skills, right? Women are often socialized to be more aware of what, you know, everyone else in the room is feeling. Mm. So that's, that's a, that's a way in which I think, you know, men lose out in a lot of ways. Like you shouldn't always be thinking about what everyone else is feeling, but it would be great if we could sort of establish a balance of that and that men would be taught that more as kids. And, but anyway, <laughs> uh, you know, things I think about yeah. all the time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know, as, as the person who, uh, uh, you know, literally could do no wrong in my home, right? Like my, my mother genuinely believed the ground I walked on was holy, uh, much to my much to my wife's frustration at times, right? But uh, I feel like then if somebody's like, you're doing something wrong, I, I am really going to have my ears perk up because like, I don't do things wrong. That that can't that can't be. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I would hear that feedback, but I, I don't. I don't know. So, anyways, okay. well, um, or did you have more to say about that, Nick? I was, I was just going to say it's interesting though that what you said there was um, it would make my ears pick pick up because I don't do stuff wrong, whereas a woman <laughs> hearing that would go, yeah. oh, oh, what did I do wrong? And it, it's right. it's that sort of oh shit moment. Yeah. Yeah, I watch well, it. Yeah, and for clarity, I know I do things wrong, but, but definitely <laughs> the way I was raised, you know, like uh, it, it, I, I'm yeah. sure that we're approaching it differently for sure. But yeah. well, so I want to move on to a different topic just to keep moving. But Nick, uh, now you've you know you've been in leadership for a while. Do you have a, a thought on what's the best or maybe worst leadership advice you've ever received? Uh-huh. Um, gosh. I don't know that I've had much advice. Actually, no, some of the best advice I got. Um, so a few years ago, I I took a kind of another step up from being a team lead to being a, a sort of lead of leads. Um, and at that point, again, I felt very sort of junior in terms of the people who were my peers. Uh, and I got a new boss come in and he more or less immediately uh, started sort of building my confidence up and just telling me to be more just be me only bigger and louder than I'm being right now because it's in there (laughs) and you just need to let it out um and and it took a long time for me to sort of get my head around that but when I started to put myself out there more and and, you know things like this a few years ago if someone had said do you want to do a podcast I'd have been like don't be silly me (laughs) what have I got to say um but now I'm like well sure why not you know let's let's give it a crack and um so yeah definitely that that advice to just kind of project into the world and and be present and and make myself her take up space um yeah yeah, that's 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 been really really useful um Awesome. I'm trying to think about worst advice now. <laughs> I'm sure I've had plenty. <laughs> <laughs> Some well, bad advice. Can you say a little bit more about the the switch to lead of leads? What's it like leading leaders versus leading individual contributors? Is it is it a notable difference? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a lot more. I think you have to kind of let go a lot more, and there's a <sighs> Like having come up through into being a team lead, I was suddenly in a position where 
people I had managed as individual contributors were suddenly leads themselves. And so they were going through that learning process that I'd just been through. And it's so tempting to kind of just reach over and do stuff for them. And no, 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 you need to do it like this. And do you want me to have that conversation? And, you you know, and you can't, you've Mm. got to let them in as safe a way as possible, make those mistakes for themselves and learn those lessons because they're not going to if you don't let them fail a little bit um I mean obviously that's a massive judgment call you don't want people to sort of crash and burn but just the the little bumps that kind of yeah, round off yeah, yeah exactly like. <laughs> well it's it's pushing it's pushing your birds out of the nest right yeah. like you, you don't want to do yeah. it when they're not big enough to fly but at some point yeah. it's sink or swim yeah. yeah that's now I'm mixing my metaphors you push the bird out of the <laughs> nest and it either sinks or it swims <laughs> Uh, the, but... the nest is over the water. And... <laughs> oh, anyway. They're ducklings. It's fine. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Uh, so yeah, that sounds like good advice that you're you are ready to give other people, which is when you are managing leaders, uh, you you should not just tell them everything and assume that they're gonna pick it up without going through the experiences of doing it yeah wrong yeah I mean we all know you know people can tell you how to do things and show you but until you actually do it for yourself it it doesn't kind of mm-hmm. resonate in the same way you need to go through it and walk that walk that mile in those shoes of your own yeah yeah and uh, what do you think your your strongest characteristic is as a, as a leader at the moment what do you what do you what do you think you should get better at and what do you think you're the best at right now for yourself? That's a really interesting one because I think as as I've kind of grown in confidence and this ability to push myself forward, I'm slightly conscious of losing what I think has always been my biggest strength up to this point, which has been kind of empathy and compassion for other people. And I'm really kind of struggling with how to balance that so that I'm not becoming too sort of strident and overriding people and that kind of thing I'm I'm still able to come back to this place where I can go actually I know you're having a really tough time I'm going to sit with you through this and we'll work it out together Um, and I think it's Mm -hmm. it's it's hard to keep that humility at the same time as becoming more confident in your own self and your own abilities and I think that's that's kind of this strange tipping point I feel like I'm at at the moment I'm not sure that answers your question though Absolutely. <laughs> well the, the, I think that yeah. it's something I'm I'm extremely tuned into that the more you become confident in what you're doing the easier it is to just turn into an asshole <laughs> yes. just, how do you stay grounded uh as you get better at this yeah. right um, exactly that yeah, but there's also that larger, larger concept. That, and we were just we were talking about that in the podcast that just came out with Johnny Sheely about having to, as you get higher up in an organization and you have more people and more organizations under you, uh, how how do you balance being a human and seeing the human side of this with we have to, you know, for example, were you involved in the reduction in force, right? We, did you have to suck it up and and do have the hard conversations and decide who you were going to lay off and and how do you balance that with having to be the general and not and try not Mm. to care too much about it um yeah I mean I was fortunate this time I wasn't directly involved although um some of my colleagues were and and actually one of them asked me to um to be in some of their meetings as uh, as they were being laid off so be there as kind of their support person so that was 
kind of sitting on their side of the table. <laughs> um, right. which was, uh, it's great that they felt they could ask you. I, uh, I'm really glad that you were, you know, that you have a, a, yeah, a, a situation where people can do that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's someone I'd worked with for a, a long time and, and it, it was kind of an honor to do that, you know, it felt like the least I could do. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. so that, it's yeah, a, it's, it's tough. It's, it is tough, but I have been, um, through processes before where we've, we've had to let people go for various reasons and it's, it's always, always really, really hard and stressful and you lose sleep and, but you can't necessarily show that on, on the shop floor. You've got to be, you know, got to have your game face on and everything's fine. It's under control. Don't worry. Um, mm-hmm. And it's the world is not. Yeah. Ending. Yeah. And it, it, it's, <laughs> it's tough. And I think sometimes, again, you have to strike that balance between um, kind of conveying that sense of confidence and that everything's OK, but still let people see that actually there is a human still this side as well. And, and I feel bad about some things that happen sometimes and, you know, just have that little bit of vulnerability. So people don't feel like you're just some sort of hard faceless, <laughs> you yeah, know, pointy haired boss kind of thing. Um, totally. And it's, yeah, yeah you, I think you do have to just, just in a very subtle way, just let on that, you know, you, you do still have feelings and you understand how other people feel, but this is what we have to do yeah. for, for the greater good kind of thing. Yeah. That's, yeah uh, I'm not, I'm not sure you're ever going to be heard in that situation, right? It doesn't, doesn't really matter if you have feelings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? It does, it does uh, actually matter though, Kendall. I feel like that's, it doesn't matter to the, the situation, the, the logistics of the situation. I think that's true, but it definitely matters when someone who is letting you go understands that it is a really shitty thing that is happening and you can tell. Sure. Yeah. I believe that. Yeah. yeah and I think sure. for the, yeah. for the people who are staying behind as well, they need to see that they need to see that you're not doing this lightly. Um, yeah. Right. I think, I think there's just a fine line between like, Hey, I know this is hard, you know, and what some managers do, which is this is as hard for me as it is for uh, you. Yeah. And like, not no, no, that's, yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> I definitely get, I see what you're saying. There's definitely that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, anyway. So Nick, what, what is your relationship with authority? I think we've, we've talked a little bit about that and how you feel that it's super important to have, you know, a human side and make that side visible mm-hmm. and your vulnerability visible. But what is your relationship with authority? Um, how do you feel about people having authority over you? And how do you feel about having uh, authority over other people? Um, I think I have a slightly conflicted relationship with authority over me. On, on one hand, I find it kind of reassuring that there's someone there um, who's responsible for, for, you know, for things bigger than me. And I don't have ultimate accountability for everything um but at the same time I find myself kicking against it and and being quite frustrated at times with decisions being made that I don't agree with and you know I guess that's normal but um well it'd be a lot easier if people would make the same decisions that you would make well right (laughs) everything would be fine (laughs) um I mean you know seriously I, I get that I don't have all the answers but I feel like sometimes I have slightly better answers and I'd like them to be listened to a bit more closely. Um, But I guess a lot of people feel like that. Um, In terms of having authority over other people, um, I I, I favour the kind of servant leadership model where 
I see my job as more about kind of sitting underneath my team and lifting them up rather than sitting over them and you know sending things down from on high that they they have to do and follow um it just feels like a more I don't know a more natural way of things I don't like to feel like I'm in command I'm the boss I you know that's there are times when you have to sort of resort yeah, to that I'm obviously the boss of you yeah but you know dire emergencies and, and awful happenings sometimes you have to kind of pull rank a little bit but generally speaking I'm not comfortable with that as a, a general rule it's it's not yeah, my yeah. way of operating you feel like you're working for them versus them yeah, working for you yeah because with, without them I, I don't okay. have a job there's nothing for me to do yeah and here's it comes back That's to this good. idea that you know you might not actually be an engineer per se in the sense that your release engineers are uh and the people writing code are perhaps but you have a set of skills that they don't have and that is needed for mm-hmm. the leadership yeah yeah so yeah yeah, yeah. okay um, and do you feel like you have a have a different relationship with authority that now that you did when you were younger? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I was um, I was always a very well behaved child and did as <laughs> I was told. And um, not so and much anymore. Not so much. No, less and less as time goes on. I think that's that's to do with being over 40 you kind of get to a point where Hell yeah you start <laughs> called the you just... AF time yeah <laughs> that has kicked in in a major way over the last few years um welcome but yeah I, th- I think you you need to have kind of a healthy disrespect for authority at times mm-hmm. can you when have you done that have you been able to do that at your current job uh, and can you describe it if you have um maybe in subtle ways in kind of a I'm being told to do this but let's just ignore that and do it our way quietly (laughs) (laughs) oh I'm so familiar so familiar with that form that's great well I think what's what's embarrassing to me is the number of times in my career where I wish I had done that right like this this is the rule and somebody on my team is mature enough to completely ignore that rule and I go and try to follow it and I look back later and I'm like man that was the wrong thing to do I wish I could have been more of a rule breaker it was the wrong battle to not pick yeah. <laughs> right. Or even just ignore, right? Like that's that's part of like there's times to fight back and there's also times to just ignore it and yeah. uh Yeah, similarly learning when it is like that it is actually great to be quiet in a room and listen to everyone else force them to oh, come yeah. to you, those kinds of things. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. People do not yeah. learn those things young. <laughs> no, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> well, so Nick, let's talk a little bit about you personally. I mean, tell us a little bit about your life outside of work, hobbies or interests. Uh, what keeps you busy outside okay. of outside of work? Um, so, primarily, my children. Um, I've got a nine-year-old boy and a seven-year-old girl who's what? going on seventeen <laughs> already. Oh, <laughs> uh, but no, they're great. They're they're very different. Um, he's very kind of introverted and sensitive and empathic and um, but he likes to build things he's he's going to be an engineer of some sort mm-hmm. um, whereas my daughter is a complete extrovert she's she loves to dance and perform and I have no idea how to parent that um, so that's <laughs> 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 that's a really interesting learning curve um, 
time for musical uh, so, theatre class. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I found myself joining in with a dance class the other week at the end of term. Oh, like, nice. What am I even doing here? But uh, it was kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so aside from applying the sort of fail fast principle to parenting, um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I also do um, yoga, which really helps to kind of keep everything in balance and um, keep, keep me on an even keel. It's mm-hmm. it's seen me through some really tough stuff at work, and it's it's great to have just that little slice of time each week that's completely for me. And you just you have to focus so deeply on what your body's doing that you don't have time to to think about anything else. Um, and just having that complete disconnect from everything else is is really really helpful. Um, so is that. I mean, tell me a little bit more about that as a person who's, you know, watched others do yoga mm-hmm. and never participated. Um, I mean, is it more about sort of the meditative movement of it or is it more about, you know, some of the physical exercise or I guess, you know, it sounds like what you're saying is some combination of the two mm. that that you're just so focused on doing this slowly, carefully doing it right or like, what yeah. is it about it? That, that um, I think it, it depends on what kind of class you go to. The class I, I'm in, um, the the majority of it is a lot of focus on postures and, and sort of um, developing you, your ability to get into some of these more challenging postures and hold them and, and that kind of stuff. Um, so that is really focusing on, you know, which muscle groups you're using and how to balance and breathe and drop your shoulders. And, you know, there's a lot going on all at once. Completely out of your mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then at the end, we, we all sort of lie down and, um in shavasana and have a a little uh sort of guided meditation session which is is really nice and you have to try not to fall asleep in that but um yeah it's (laughs) that's a nice end to the session nice and chilled um so yeah well and do you stand up and walk out of the room and immediately start to stress about work or does it does it have a lasting effect no it it lasts um like I'll, i'll go to bed on a monday night really chilled and feeling great and then tuesday morning i get up and my back feels incredible and i feel really nice and then it sort of gradually wanes through the week um and then you know, by, by Sunday, I'm kind of like <laughs> <laughs> ready for my class again. So yeah, it's um, it keeps yeah. me going. Yeah, you gonna try it, Kendall? Uh, I mean, you know, I, it's I should right now. My my meditative movement is running in the mountains. You know mm-hmm. that, but uh, I, I see the value in it, and I know like my wife has done yoga and Pilates, and you know comes home and tells me about you know just how difficult some of these movements are and how it affects you. Just you know having to focus on it and I see the value in it. Uh, I, I would love to try it someday, but I don't think I'm going to prioritize that anytime soon. <laughs> oh yeah. And when I said earlier, you were out of your mind, I didn't mean you're crazy. I said, I meant you're <laughs> no, no, body. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. Good. Oh, I, I just thought about that for I a second. It was pretty clear there, Rachel, but uh, always probably good to clarify. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, I find it's important that people make sure uh, to make sure people understand that I'm not trying to be a jerk to them. Um, so yeah, how yeah. Minor how do you uh, can you can you talk about a little bit how has becoming a leader affected your personal life? Um, it sounds like you said you know you're you're applying the the practice of fail fast in parenting, <laughs> but in terms of you know other aspects of managing your relationships and and so forth, is it positive? Is it negative? De- definitely positive. I think I mean 
going back a few years before um, before I really got into leadership positions and before I had children, certainly, I wasn't very ambitious and I kind of assumed, well, I'm, I'm married and my husband's got a good job and, you know, I probably don't need to worry too much about this career stuff. And then th- there was something, I'm not sure when it happened, but I started to feel like, oh, actually, I'm good at this stuff and there is something here and I enjoy it and I like this and I want to do more of it. And it, it kind of took off and gave me a lot more confidence and kind of direction in my life, um, which I hadn't really had before. Um, and I do wonder whether if I'd have stayed doing um, more kind of individual contributor stuff, would I have just sort of bumbled along in okay jobs, but nothing fantastic um, and not really gained that that sense of who I really am and what I'm really good at so I think that's had a big impact it's it's obviously it Uh, seems positive to me and that's you know you you've found you found out that you're capable of more than perhaps you expected Mm. um or you know realize was something that would make you happy uh I do there's always that trade-off right well am I am I meeting my potential am I am I should I stress more should I you know that kind of Mm. stuff is that always the idea of like, well, if I didn't know about this, would I be any, any happier? <laughs> would I be unhappy? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right? Like, would I be blissfully ignorant? <laughs> right. Exactly. It's, it's all related to that. You know, yeah. you have more power, you have more agency, you're able to affect more change. But again, you come back to, well, I also need to have yoga at least once a week or else I will explode. <laughs> True. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah it's all a big balance it is, it is. and you, every day ask yeah. yourself yeah is it worth it? <laughs> it is yeah and I think it is I think it is when you're when you have what it sounds like you have a great environment in which to you know foster uh good managers and and um you know generally affect change in your organization then it sounds like it's the right path yeah yeah and I think it's it's given me tools yeah. like the coaching and stuff which the things that I really would like to take forward in the future. So, um, you know, it's it's kind of opened up other possibilities for um, sort of the next phase of my life, I suppose. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you very much for being on the show. Yeah, Thanks and for before me. we let you go here, Nick, tell us where can people find you on the internet? Okay, uh, I'm on Twitter. Um, I'll, I'll spell it because <laughs> uh, it's K-N-I- N-K-I, so it's kind of ninky, I suppose. Um, <laughs> K-N-I-N-K-I? Yep. Um, or I'm on, okay. I'm on LinkedIn as well as Nicola Knight. Okay. Oh, okay, cool. Well, thanks. thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed it. it.